You only need to get online to discover that there's a whole industry now of support and help devoted to online help and assistance. You know, you're on apple.com, hit support, boom. You get the answer to almost any question. They don't have a phone number for you to call. It's all online now. Google's the same. Some 20-year-old is sitting in a cubicle laughing at you, you know, thinking they're being helpful. But the reality is you can go online and get all kinds of help. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I needed to put a, a headboard in our guest room. We have a guest room now. It's not Rebecca's room anymore. She's married. So I got a guest room. And I had to put a headboard because we took our queen bed and put it on a new frame. And voila, YouTube. It was easy. It was great. All the help you need, you can find online. Really? I mean, what about help for frustration with marriage, with my walk with the Lord, which I failed at times this week? What about with that boss or that employee that you're struggling with? Whatever it might be, as a Christian, in today's world in 2016, where can I get such help? Well, all we need to do is look to the helper. That's what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. For today is the Feast of Pentecost, Whitsunday. Pentecost is the Jewish festival that celebrates the giving of the Ten Commandments. And every year they celebrated that. So in Exodus 19, 18... We read that a violent wind and tongues of fire had enveloped Mount Sinai at the time. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. But the law, however, failed to change the world. Because the law itself failed to change people. And for the most part, we today long to see a new reformation, a new revival in our country in our community, in our church, in our own hearts. And we ask ourselves, could that happen, really? Well, this text tells us, yeah, it can happen. If we will avail ourselves to it, to receive the benefits of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at two great aspects of this text. And once we see it, instantaneous change. That not only we desire, but what God desires for each and every one of us. And what we see in this text is that we have a helper above and a helper within. First, let's look at the helper above. If you look at John 14, you can also, if you're visiting with us, you'll notice it's in the back of your bulletin. This is a conversation that began with Philip. Philip's one of the disciples of Jesus. And he says, Lord, we just show us the Father. And look what Jesus says. Dude. Really? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he's saying to Philip. And that's our message to our neighbors, where we live, where we work to play. You don't have to go far to know who God is. All you need to look is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus informs them how they and we can get the help that we need to live the life that God's called us to live. And it's vital for us as Christians today as well. And there's two answers 
in the text to look to the helper above and the helper within. Now there's certainly much more we could say about the Holy Spirit, but this will be enough. I ask you to trust me on that one. See, the key to the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life first is an understanding that you have a first helper, a first advocate in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who says, I'm going to send you another helper, but what he's talking about is himself. You have the word paraclete being raised. The word paraclete is a legal advocate is used of Jesus, too, by this John in his first letter. He says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And you might be, you might remember this scripture, because we say it at least once a month in the comfortable words. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. The comfortable words, amen? It's great stuff. The NIV says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Speaking about Jesus. The word helper or advocate or one who speaks to the Father is the Greek word parakletos. We get the word paraclete from that. A paraclete was one who was the legal counsel in court for you. The one who argued your case, stood in your stead, and always contained the idea of comfort and encouragement. You needed this person to come to your defense and shoulder the burden and bear the responsibility that you needed. And when the Bible says when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father... If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have an advocate with the Father. And when that is said, there's two great assumptions that the Bible has for us in that statement. The first assumption is that we understand that there's a bar of justice. There's a court before which we all stand accused. We all stand condemned. And in my 20 years of professional ministry, if in 20 years... From this spring, 20 years ago this spring, I was coaching high school baseball at Westlake High School. And it's gone by like that. And since I've left teaching and gone into professional ministry, I've seen a lot of people try desperately to get out under the idea that they're condemned. That there's a bar of justice. That there's a moral standard by which they're not measuring up to. And one of the best ways to get out from underneath that is to move from home, away from home, go to school somewhere where you will be taught, young or old, you your own law. You decide what's right or wrong for you. You don't let anybody tell you what's right or wrong. And then all of a sudden, you realize that I'm going to live up to my moral standards. So for years you say, I don't have to feel guilty. I decide what's right or wrong for me until you realize after a while there's not a single person on the face of the earth who even lives up to the standards that you have decided are right or wrong and the standards you apply to everyone else. It could be you're successful in the beginning of your life and then you realize as life goes on that you've neglected those you say that you love and you're lonely now. Or... 
you're unsuccessful early in life and you feel guilty and you feel like you're a failure because of that. Or maybe real life has hit you and you're sick or you've had some suffering and you realize that it forces you to admit that there is a bar of justice. And everyone in the end has a sense, really, that they're condemned before a holy and perfect God. Everyone knows that before a holy and perfect God, they're a moral failure. And this sense sleeps very deeply in some people for a very long time. And it might be that this morning it's sleeping deeply in you. There is a bar of justice. There is a court before which we all stand accused. And the second thing the Bible assumes in that first John statement is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a helper who's your advocate standing before the Father arguing your case. He's making a case for you. Hebrews 7, Romans 8, all says that Jesus makes intercession for you. What a comfort that is. To think about. And when I first heard this as a young believer about 20 years ago, in my mind, what it meant was every time that I sinned, Jesus walked up to God and said, Lord, don't abandon Gene. I know he promised not to do that anymore, and he did. But let's give him another chance. I thought that's what Jesus was doing. And after a while, that wasn't very comforting for me. Because after a while, I thought, sooner or later, he's going to get a little sick of this job being my advocate, right? After all, I've been sinning for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. When's he finally going to say, I'm not going to the Father one more time for your sorry rear end? Right? You ever felt that way? He's been doing this, Father, for years. It didn't comfort me until I heard a message from the White Horse Inn. Michael Horton was talking about a chapel message by Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge was a professor of theology at Princeton Seminary in the 1830s and 40s. And he quoted these words that changed me. Hodge says, now I'm putting it into modern English because it's, it's really dated words, but here's what Hodge is saying in this chapel message to Princeton seminarians. He says, you know what? Jesus Christ is your advocate. He is your legal representative before the bar, before the court. One of the things you have to realize, he's not just up there pleading for your mercy. Because pleading for mercy isn't what the legal advocate does. The legal advocate makes a case. And he makes a case based on the law. He's up there securing your status as not being condemned because of the law. Jesus is saying, Father, you are just and this justice demands payment. This brother or sister of mine has sinned. This brother has not loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not loved his neighbor as himself. And his sin must be paid for. And Father, I have paid it. In full. Look at my blood. Look at my sacrifice. I paid it all. Therefore, I'm not just pleading for mercy. I'm demanding acquittal. 
because I have paid it all. He can't pay, I have. Acquit him. I demand it. That's justice that Jesus gives to each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. That's what you have. What Charles Hodge is saying, and what I realize, I hope you can come with me because I'm taking about three minutes to realize how revolutionary this was for me. I realize that all other religions see salvation as sort of the blind justice scales. You have good works on one side and divine justice on the other. And I thought that on the moral law of God, the divine justice was on the other side. And what you had to do was put a ton of good works on this side to balance off the justice. And the justice of God was up against me, saying, you better be good. You know, and all the possible good things that I could put into my life, going to church, all the prayers, all the teaching Sunday school, all the fellowship of Christian athletes that I was doing. I better be really good at those things or I'm done for, I thought. But I realized when you believe in Jesus Christ, he's your helper. He's your advocate. And he's on your side. It would be unjust for God to take two payments for the same sin. Amen? Your sins have been paid for, friends. So have mine. And therefore, the very justice of God, the omnipotent, the all-powerful, omniscient, infinite justice of God demands that there's no condemnation for you. Now, if we have an advocate up there doing that, all right, we have a helper. What's the helper doing here within us? Well, the Holy Spirit, Jesus describes as our helper, advocate, paraclete on earth. Jesus is our advocate in heaven. What the Holy Spirit is doing is taking the advocacy in heaven and applying it here on earth against the enemies in your own heart. He's pounding it into you. He's dealing with your temptations. He's dealing with your pride. He's dealing with your fears. He's dealing with your accusations. And he's saying... Look at what Jesus has done for you. The Holy Spirit is not a helper who points to himself. He's a helper who points to Jesus. Two chapters later in John 16, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will speak of me. He will glorify me. He will not speak of himself. Dr. J.I. Packer, that great Anglican scholar. By the way, I don't know if you knew, Dr. Packer's sight is coming back. Remember I mentioned about six months ago he was losing his sight? He's been receiving prayer. He's been receiving treatment medically. And he can see. And so he signed up to teach a three-hour course at Regent College in Vancouver at 90 years of age. Isn't that great? Dr. Packer said, the Holy Spirit is like the floodlights on a great cathedral. He was walking by a great cathedral on his way to preach one night, and he saw a floodlight lighting up the old building. And in daytime, he wasn't really fond of this particular cathedral, but he suddenly realized at nighttime it was absolutely stunningly beautiful. And he couldn't even tell where the floodlight was. 
he essentially says, I couldn't tell where the floodlight was because the job of the floodlight is not to call attention to itself. The job of the floodlight is to throw into relief the beauty and the magnificence of the thing that is flooding. That's the Holy Spirit's job, friends. The Holy Spirit's job is not to say, look at me, get all the power, go live for Jesus. He's saying, look at Jesus. It's not get my power, get my joy, get my anointing. Look at the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. Look at him standing there. Look at him, his advocacy for you at the present time. There's no condemnation. There's no failure. There's no accusation. There is nothing that can cast you down because God loves you in Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is our advocate on earth within us pointing us to our advocate in heaven who's arguing our acquittal. And that will change you. Here are two ways your life can change instantly as we walk out of here today. First, please notice the magnificence of divine selflessness. Here's Jesus Christ emptying himself of his glory in order to become a servant to die on the cross for you, he conquered death and the resurrection and truly ascended into heaven. Here's the Holy Spirit not speaking of his own glory, but glorifying Jesus within us. There must be something deep in the heart of God that is other-oriented. There's a selflessness in God. There's something in God that says, my life for yours. There's something in God that says, I'm here to serve you. Just because I love you. I'm here to help you. So here's Jesus emptying himself of his glory. Here's the Holy Spirit only showing us Jesus' glory. Yet what do we do? Are you always promoting yourself? Are you always upset because people aren't giving you your due? Do you feel like you're not getting credit? Do you find yourself always getting insulted? How Dare they talk to me like that? Are you doing what a lot of suburban Americans do? Trying to show that we got it all together? Climbing up the ladder and basically only dealing with people as long as they serve your interests? Help you with your agenda? If we want to be the follower of Christ that not only he but we deep down want to be, dear friends... You have to be the person who is characterized by the magnificence of divine selflessness. Get rid of your pride. Stop promoting yourself. Be like the one who lives within you. That's number one. Number two, do you feel like a hypocrite? Like a fake Christian at times? Are you struggling with rejection in the world, as the world becomes increasingly hostile to the message? Because in today's world, there's always an appearance we have to maintain, right? It always seems like you're up for some kind of audition or an interview. You know, sometimes you just feel like a failure. Are you afraid to have any 
of the people around you realize how much you lack confidence? How many right now almost loathe yourselves? My friends, you need a helper. You need an advocate. You have one. You have God seated at the right hand of the throne arguing your acquittal right now. And you have the Holy Spirit within you pointing you back to that acquittal right now. You have everything you need, all the help you need, as you recognize and you live unto the Lord. Jesus says in verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater things than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Greater things as we live our lives here on the West Shore than even Jesus did. Well, that's an interesting phrase, huh? I've never healed somebody and taken them off a mat like he did. What does that mean? I think it means we join God at the work around us. It would be the blessing we've been called to live. And there's times when all of a sudden you might be a little nervous about it. When you're nervous about it, there's probably God at work there. All right? I remember the story of good old uh, pharmacist mate Wheeler Lipes. Wheeler Lipes was a pharmacist mate on the USS Sea Dragon submarine in the Pacific in World War II. On September 11th, 1942, a 19-year-old seaman, Daryl Rector, came down with great stomach pain and asked for a laxative, and his temperature soared to 160. 106. Well, pharmacist mate had been around a little bit and recognized what was happening to him and knew that he had acute appendicitis. And if they didn't do something, Seaman Rector was going to die because this appendix was going to burst. So he said, I've watched doctors do it. What do you say? He said he knew he couldn't perform this operation without the captain's permission. So he went to the captain and said, Captain, can we surface? And the captain said, absolutely not. We're in hostile waters. But you got to do this. So save his life. So at 120 feet below surface, pharmacist mate Lipes in a small, cramped sub-wardroom, the patient was stretched out on a stretcher beneath just one lone floodlight. The assisting officers, all the officers on the sub, helped assist him in the surgery. They put their pajamas on backwards, and they put gauze over their face. The cook boiled water for sterilizing the instruments. A tea strainer was served the antiseptic cone. A broken-handed scalpel was used as the operating instrument. Alcohol drained from the torpedoes was the antiseptic. And they used bent spoons to open up his stomach and keep them open. And after cutting through layers of muscle, pharmacist mate Lipes found the appendix. Two and a half late, hours later, as the last drop of ether ran out, he finished stitching semen. <laughs> well, I forgot his name. <laughs> Rector. They stitched him up with cat gut. 
Thirteen days later, Seaman Rector was back on duty. And pharmacist Nate White, before Lipes, before he began this surgery, looked up to the heavens and said, Lord, help me. Because all he'd seen was doctors do it. That's a remarkable act performed by a relatively untrained man under the most difficult circumstances. But my friends, that's one of these greater than these acts. Something that we couldn't imagine ourselves doing, but yet the Lord called us to it. And because you have a helper above and a helper within, there's a sense in which he works, he in he works, he calls us to acts that are greater because of the weakness that we have and the weak servants that we are. The same power that through Jesus brought regeneration and life to many flows through us. The same wisdom that brought healing to the most fragmented relationships is operable in us. The same remarkable love that brought life to impossible situations resides in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you're probably not going to be called, I hope, to perform an emergency appendectomy. But there are greater works for us to do here. Let's avail ourselves to him in every way in this coming year and for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending this helper into our lives. Oh, we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us be filled with that spirit and that we would receive his help, his advocacy. And we pray that you would help us to cooperate with him as he advocates for us. We ask that you would help us to do this as an entire church so that we would truly be a spirit-filled church and that the world would sit up and take notice and we'd be grateful for that work you've done in us and that you'll be glad for us. We'll be grateful to you and you'll be glorified in us. That's what we want at Christ Church, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.